listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, this morning, I want to invite you in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. As you're doing that, I want to tell you of a, a man that was uh, reading a book called Man of the House. He had a commute. He was coming home from work. He was sitting on the train. He had this book. Somebody mentioned it to him. So he began reading this book, and he soon became a new enlightened man. When he got home, he couldn't wait to get home to bring this new knowledge into his home. He walked right into his wife, pointed his finger in her face and said, From now on, I want you to know I'm the man of this house, and my word is law. You can tell this is probably not going to end well for him. He said, tonight, you know what? I want you to prepare pork chops, mashed potatoes, and green beans, and I'd like an apple pie for dessert. And he says, and guess what? After that, I'd like for you to draw me a bath so I can have a time for, to relax. Kind of got a smirk on his face and said, and guess when I'm finished with my bath, guess who gets to dress me and comb my hair? Wife looked at him and said, well, my guess would be the funeral director. <laughs> so this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is once again in the very practical application side of his book. We, he spent for two chapters building a theological foundation of our identity, that God chose us to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. And now he's beginning to break out, then how do we live out that reality? Last week we began looking at the idea of submitting to governments, and it's our responsibility to do that. We looked last week at slaves submitting to their masters, or servants submitting to those that were over them. And these were some hard truths to swallow. And last week it was that idea that we are called... We are called as believers to submit, and at times we are called to suffer. And oftentimes we suffer unjustly. And Peter says, I know it doesn't seem fair, but that is what you were called to. And so today, he is going to move into another form of how do we live out this reality of who we are in Christ, what he has done for us, how do we live out this New application of who we are. And as you could probably tell from the opening this morning, we're going to talk about marriage. You know, marriage is, I think, the, one of the greatest blessings of life, and it's one of the hardest things, the hardest challenges is that we will ever have. And so I have been very thankful for this passage in my own life this week as I've been looking and studying and reading and, and thinking about it. And it's been good for me to be reminded of so many a truce that we're going to see this morning. I have a deeper appreciation and understanding this morning for what I would call this our bottom line is marriage is not a 50-50 contract, but it is a 100% commitment. And I want to begin breaking that out and fleshing that out this morning. What do I mean that marriage is not a 50-50 contract, but a 100% commitment? So you're in 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. You can see there the title talks about husbands and wives. Doing some observations this week, I quickly noted that Peter, in these seven verses, 
that Peter directs one of them to the husband and six to the wife. And that's 85.714.14% is devoted to wives. In my 22 years of marriage, I've learned you don't even comment on that. So let's look today at 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 and 2. He says, likewise, wives, be subject or submit, your Bibles might say, to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So, here's some things we need to notice. First of all, he says, likewise. So, he's got this idea in mind, and yours might say, in the same way. So, Peter is referring to, he's saying, okay, likewise, I'm about to give you something, but it's tied to what he's been talking about, how Christ submitted to God the Father, how Christ gave himself for other people. You're there in 1 Peter, look back at what he's talking about in chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. This is what he has in mind when he says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, Jesus, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. And so Peter is saying that wives should approach their marriage with Christ in view. When you think of marriage, you are to see or to think about with Christ in the background. And he says wives are to be subject to or to submit to their own Husband. So what does Peter mean? This is a hot topic. I mean, I know this isn't something that culture likes us to talk about. It can make us a little uncomfortable. But what does he mean with the idea of wives submitting? He, he must have an idea. So a couple of observations before we talk about what it isn't and what it is. First of all, notice it says wives are to be subject or to submit to their own husbands. You know, the marriage relationship is the only exclusive relationship that we really are to have. We're to have many friends. Um, we, we have many co-workers. We have many neighbors. But it is the only exclusive relationship that we see. And then he says this command for women is to be subordinate or submissive. It's not to men in general. He's talking about wives to their own husbands. So Peter is addressing the proper order as a married household. So what does he mean by be submissive? So what does he not mean? Let's start there. Well, Peter is not saying that wives are to have no voice or to have opinions or that they are to be doormats to be walked on. That's not biblical submission. Wives are not just to sit back and be quiet and never give input or just do whatever their husband tells them to do. That's not biblical submission. Peter's not saying that wives are to submit no matter what. In other words, wives are not to submit to their husbands if their husbands ask them to go against Scripture. It is not the husband's will over God's will. They're not to do things their husband asks them to do if the Bible forbids it. 
So that is not biblical submission. So what is this hot topic of submission? Well, what Peter is doing is telling wives to submit to their own husbands. He is telling the wives that God has designed a certain order in creation for the marriage relationship. The husband is to be the head of the wife, and the wife is to submit herself to the husband's leadership. You can look at that in Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. But what he's showing us is that God has designed the world to have relationships where there is proper order. So, for instance, that's why you have parents and you have children. Children are not on the same level. They don't have the same responsibility. The children are not to lead the parents. And you've seen some of those relationships where you're wondering, man, you just want to step in and set things right. Or bosses and employees. Employees are to submit themselves to the boss's leadership. And listen, bosses will not always lead well. You've got the perfect example in the Trinity. God the Father sends the Son. The Son then ushers in the Spirit. And guess what? The Spirit was obedient to the Son. And the Son was obedient and submissive to the Father. Even Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way, But if not, your will be done over mine. And so there is this beauty in a properly ordered relationship. And Peter's bringing this up to show us that the marriage, there is to be a proper order. He says that wives are to voluntarily submit to their husbands as the God-ordained leaders of their lives and their home. So what is submission? Well, it can mean to honor. It can mean to show honor to that husband. It can mean to affirm him as the leader of the home. It can mean to support their husband who is to be the leader of their relationship. But husbands, let me speak to you for a moment. Guys, we are to be the head of our homes. We are to be the leaders of our marriages. We are to be the leaders of our homes. And our wives are called by God. It is a divine calling for them to submit or to be subordinate to that leadership. But the command to submit is given to the wives. So men, it is not our responsibility. And it's not even for us to worry about how well your wife is doing in their department. Not for us to worry about. It's not for you to worry about. You are not to worry about your wife submitting to you. That's not our business. That's between her and God. Now, Peter will get to your job in just a moment and my job, but let's go back to the wives where he says, not only has God established an order, he's going to show us some reasons for it. Peter knows in this letter there are women that are coming. They've heard the gospel. They're coming to be a part of this church. They're hearing this letter read. The women are attending. They're doing. They're probably serving. And their husbands are not. In this context, when he would be reading to, to the people there, you know what? A wife could not have friends that were not her husband's friends. She could not do a lot of things without the husband's permission. She could not worship some other God than her husband. And all of a sudden, Christianity is totally changing everything. So Peter's very careful because, above all, he wants Christianity to move forward. And, and, and as the Scriptures say, he wants it to be a pleasant taste to people. 
So he has to be careful in how this presented. And so he's telling the wives, he says the wives, that when they're attending these churches and doing different things, that wives are to be subject to their own husbands, even if some do not obey the word. Whether they follow or not, he says that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see their respectful and pure conduct. So in plain terms, you know what Peter is saying? Wives, do not badger or nag your husband about his belief or disobedience to the word of God. But instead, allow your conduct to win him over. So women, wives, let me speak to you for just a moment. You know, wives, you need to be able to trust. You must be able to put your trust. You must be able to trust God to change a man's heart. And I've seen it a lot of times. I've seen in my life where there have been times that my wife has been a stronger leader spiritually than me. And the thing that was not working was her being on my case and her, you know, maybe using different things to try to pull me along to get me to the place that I needed to be. But it was looking back now and watching that quiet and that respect and that pure conduct. And that's what God used to change my heart. So wives, your job is not to get him to lead. Instead, it is to trust God that he will change the husband's heart. And once again, it's a divine calling to submit and to trust that God will do something. But you know, a lot of times it's like Tony Evans said. He said, wives, you know what? Sometimes submitting means to duck so that God can smack your husband. And you let him do the things, and you allow him to work in, in his heart and in his life to draw him to the place that he needs to be. But it's trusting that God has placed your husband there for a reason. You know what? Is it easy? No. But God has called you to something that often is not easy. He has called you to trust him. There's all kinds of ways in our life that God is using things to trust Him. He brings illnesses in our life to go, God, I'm gonna, if I will trust Him in this. He brings financial difficulties to see, are we going to trust Him? He brings problems into our lives to see if we're going to trust Him. And I think so often it's in the marriage that the wife has to trust that God can do something. So listen to the wise advice of, of Thomas Schreiner. It says this, wives... Do not submit in order to satisfy your husband's vanity or to promote his reputation. Neither do they submit to show how godly they are, nor to avoid conflict or nor to impress the neighbors, not to manipulate their husbands, and not even because she thinks he is wise, but she submits because of her relationship with and trust in God. So hear the truth this morning that the powerful purity of a godly woman's life can soften even the stoniest hearts without a spoken word. And so often that is how God wants to move. So look at the next two verses. It says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, and let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. You know, there is a lot of pressure placed on women today. 
Women can't walk into a store without being bombarded by the shelves devoted to products. They can't walk down the street without being overwhelmed with the need for more adorning of jewelry. They can't open a magazine without even being salted with the sense of their own clothes are not worthy. And I know that through all the pressures that women, what can usually happen is they can never feel like they're good looking enough, they're never pretty enough, they will never measure up. But the beauty is that the Bible leads away against that oppression. And Peter wants to free women from this. You know, as a child, I remembered maybe a young teenager, I remember a guy using this verse. I remember he talked about that women are not to braid their hair and they're not to wear gold jewelry. And I can remember sitting there going, wow, man, these women are going to lynch him. And he's talking about this. I remember reading, but at the time I could read. And I'm saying, but I wanted to actually raise my hand and wait. Um, they're not to braid their hair. They're not to wear gold jewelry. But wait, they're not even to wear clothes. I mean, I, I was really concerned about this now. And so that's not at all what Peter's meaning, that they're not to care about what they look like. It doesn't mean that they aren't to wear jewelry. What he is saying is that real beauty in a woman is a gentle and quiet spirit. It's not found having the perfectly styled hair. It's not having the, the professional makeup. It's not having jewelry that everybody notices. It's not having a fashionable wardrobe. But real beauty is when a woman is putting her full trust in God and she is gentle and quiet in her spirit. The real beauty is a spirit that is humble before God. And that same heart can then be gentle toward her husband. So let me talk a moment to our wives and even our mothers. You know, true beauty is seen in a woman that spends time not just on the outward appearance. But true beauty is when a woman is cultivating a heart that is fully after Christ. There can be nothing more beautiful than that. So the question is, are, are you spending time cultivating that relationship to where Christ is your greatest treasure? And then secondly, are, are you passing that on to your daughters? And I talked to several, I've had several people in the past come up to me and say, well, you just don't understand. I mean, my mom told me that I always had to be put together before anybody saw me. My hair had to be done, my makeup had to be done, I had to have everything, my nails, everything had to look right before anyone saw me. And there was so much pressure that was put on the external, experience, the, the external uh, appearance. But Peter is saying that true beauty is in a heart that is focused on God. But men, you're not off the hook here. I would ask this of ourselves. I've asked this of myself this week. Does your wife or your daughters, do they know how precious and beautiful and worthy they are? Because there is a world out there that is telling them that they will never measure up. And we must help fight that with them. So Peter is now, he, he's doing something that is really interesting. He, he's talked about the, the woman's role in the marriage relationship. He, he's talking about where true beauty comes from. That yes, women, it is, it is perfectly fine to comb your hair, uh, to, to wear makeup, and, and to wear jewelry. He's not saying that is wrong. He's saying, but true beauty comes from a heart. That is fully devoted and trusting God. Look at the next two verses. See, uh, the last two that he gives to the wife. And he's going to go to example. He says, now, this is how the holy women. 
who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Now, this is how they got ready back in the day, is what he's saying. By submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, don't get too excited. I'll explain that in a minute. And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Fear, do not fear anything that's frightening. So what is Peter doing? Peter is saying that the women of the Old Testament, they would adorn themselves, not, not so much with jewelry. Yes, they, they wore jewelry, but he's saying that the heart of everything was that they had a submissive attitude, spirit, and it was seen in their actions. And I think Peter is saying that if you could see their beauty, you would see it by their submissiveness to their husbands. There was a respect, there was an honor, there was a support that you would notice that made them beautiful. And so Peter then gives an example of Sarah. Now Sarah was a woman that was married to Abraham. And uh, I believe Sarah is a perfect example that Peter could draw upon. To use as someone with a gentle and quiet spirit. But often when we hear words like quiet and meek and submissive and gentle, we think oftentimes it could be applying that it's weak. And that's not at all. Peter says, no, 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 that is not at all. He's saying, look to Sarah. I mean, Sarah was a woman uh, who got into her husband's face a few times and probably needed to a, a few more. So why would Peter use Sarah as an example? Well, just think back over their lives. Her husband, they're old. Nothing wrong with that. He says, your husband, he had a vision from God instructing them that they were going to move to a very strange land. Number two, her husband convinced her to pretend that she was his sister while they went to Egypt to protect himself. And she was taken by Pharaoh. Third one, her husband later surrendered the best grazing land to his nephew and gave up the prized land to the nephew. Number four, there's a second time that Abraham passes Sarah off as his sister to save his own life the time uh, of attacking when the attention of Abimelech, the king of Gerar, who wanted Sarah to be his wife. He says, all right, she's my sister. And he hides it. Number five, she then had to endure the, sacri- the near sacrifice of her own son Isaac at the hands of her husband who claimed he was instructed by God to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. I think what Peter is saying that from Sarah's perspective, Abraham at times appeared unpredictable, devious, foolish, rash, irresponsible, But she still referred to him as her Lord or her leader. So I think why he uses Sarah is that Abraham was not always someone easy to follow. There were many things in his life that that we would look to go, why in the world was she allowing him to do that? Why, Why did she not go the other way? But she submitted herself to God and she submitted herself to Abraham as her husband's. So wives, I think a lot of times it will not always be easy to follow your husbands. I know it has not always been easy for my wife to follow me. Especially when we're showing no initiative to lead. But your responsibility is not to worry or to be concerned about how well 
He is leading. Your responsibility is to remain faithful to God and submissive to your husband and trust that God has everything under control. You know what? Women who give themselves to this pattern of life, though it can be frightening, will be those that God meets them in their hour of need. Those who trust themselves to God will find that he always keeps his word. And I think that's why Sarah is here again. Remember Sarah, they were promised a child and they were very late in age and she laughed at God when he said that she was going to get pregnant. But God was faithful even in her doubt. And God provided them a son that Abraham did become the father of many nations. But they learned to trust God. And through all of that, she remained faithful and submissive to her husband even when it was hard. And then he closes that phrase when he says, how does he say it? He says, and do not fear anything that is frightening. So don't be afraid of being afraid or, or don't be, I mean, what is he talking about? Well, I think he's saying, listen, wives, at times it will be very frightening. In fact, there'll be times you wonder what's going on. Has God abandoned this relationship? But what he's saying is that, yes, there are times that it will be frightening, but do not let your fright, do not let your fear paralyze you. You keep trusting, you keep submitting, you keep supporting, you keep honoring, and you trust that God will come through in the end. So wives are to be submissive or subject to their husbands with a gentle and quiet spirit. But this is only possible through someone that has experienced the grace of God through Christ, because a heart fully given to Christ will seek this command. So what about us husbands? What about what's our role? If the wife's in this and they're to be submissive, they're to follow, they're to honor, they're to support, they're to encourage. The husband is leading. So what is the man to do? All right, man, verse 7, this is for us. Likewise, so what does he mean by that? It says, in the same way, men, we're to look at our marriages with Christ in view. How did Christ lead? Men, he led sacrificially. He put other people's needs before his own. He led with authority. He led with a divine calling. And we are to see ourselves as the leaders with Christ in view. So he begins in the same way. Amen. here you go. Start writing these things down. I got four things for us. Notice what he says. Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives. What does it mean? It means something. It means to not just put up with. It doesn't mean to just merely survive. It means to dwell together in a close relationship, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. When you marry, you're no longer two independent people. The Bible says that you become one flesh. So to put it simply, men... You must spend quality time with your wife. You must make her a priority. That's what he says. You are to live with her. In harmony, you are to know you're to spend time with her. Number two, he says, husbands are to know their wives. He says to live with your wife in an understanding way. And it's got two meanings. First of all, you have to understand biblically what it means to be a husband. Before you can go any further, you have to understand, I'm called to lead, I'm called to care, I'm called to provide, I'm called to protect. But the other meaning, to live with your wife in an understanding way, it's not enough just to know your wife's favorite color. It's not enough just to know which food she doesn't like. You are to have a deep understanding and appreciation 
for your wife. You are to have a knowledge of her dreams and her aspirations. You're to know what makes her anxiety go through the roof other than you. You are to know her dreams and the things that she is insecure about. You're to know her love language. And husbands, we are to have a full understanding and knowledge of our wives. This is knowing, and this is an ongoing thing. The longer you're married, you know what? You will find and you will still have to get to know her. And you'll still have to discover what is going on. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. It's an ongoing process. And I would say this. And you know, guys, we don't fully understand our wives until they feel understood. The third one, he says, wives, live your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman who is the weaker vessel. So number three, wives are referred to as a weaker vessel. This does not mean at all that women are weak. So please don't hear me say that. In fact, I know there are a lot of women that are stronger emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically than the men in their lives. Sometimes that just happens. But everything I have read, everything I've seen, everything that other people have helped me with this, it seems that he's talking about just physically. That God has designed in most cases, except maybe Ronda Rousey, that women are physically weaker than men. So what could, what, what, what could Peter be drawing at here? There's several things, but I think one is he's talking to the husbands, and I think he could be talking about, husbands, I'm talking about how you should treat your wife. And God says to treat her as a delicate vase. Because, men, we have a tendency... To often act like a bull in a china shop. Handling situations in just a masculine manner as we would with our buddies. You know, I've learned my wife doesn't like me to put my arm around her neck and give her a noogie. You know, she just doesn't like that. What he's saying, he says, to treat them tenderly and carefully and with gentleness as the weaker vessel. Because guys, he's saying, listen, we're kind of weak too. But in some ways, they are weaker, and we are to care, and we're to notice, and we're to tenderly deal with that. And the husband's the last thing he says. So we're to live with them. We're to know them, fully know them. We're to understand that God has placed them as the weaker vessel, but husbands are to honor their wives. Husbands, we are to assign uh, to our wives a place of honor. So guys, let me ask you something. If your friends are co-workers, if the only thing they knew about your wife was the things you said about her, what would their impression be of her? Because I think too often, even both sides, we can slip into a pattern of how we talk down about our spouse and the things that we share. And Peter says, you know what? You are to honor her. I mean, that we are to look to our wives and other, after Christ, that we should have a place in our heart that no one else can even come close to. That that should be reserved for her. I heard this one time, and I've been using it in my life as a parent, that man, I want to honor my wife, and I want my kids to know this. And uh, I heard a husband one day say his kids were doing something, and they were talking back to the mom, and he stepped into the room, and he stopped him, and he said, he said, kids, you know, you can, you can talk to your mother that way. 
You know, that's got real big. What's wrong with that? So he looked at him and he said, but you will not talk to my wife that way. Man, we should, we should be honoring them. So Peter closes with a sense and a so. So he's talked to the wives and, and the order that God has created in the marriage, how they are to have their place and they are to be submissive to the husband's leadership and the, they are to support, they're to honor, they're to encourage and the husband is to lead and he is to live with his wife and know her well and he is to, to understand that relationship and how delicate it is and he is to honor her and he says, since and so, since they, talking about the wives, are co-heirs with you, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, I think it's sad that Peter has to remind husbands that their wives are co-heirs with them in the grace of life. So as husbands, as much as you love your wife, remember that God loves her more. You know, I've often talked to young people that were dating and I've always tried to have some things I would try to instill some knowledge and some guidance and and they were young and maybe teenagers. I always remind them, you know what? Man, your parents have set the guidelines. So you need to follow those. So what scripture says. But just keep in the back of your mind that you are probably dating someone else's husband and wife. Meaning, this may work out. It did for Marla and I. We were young. We were 10th graders. But you know what? For most people, this is not who you're going to end up with. So just remember that as you're dating this person, that you are dating someone else's Wife, meaning your wife is out there and someone else is dating her. How would you want them to be treated? And so husbands, remember that you are married to someone that God loves deeply. That you are married to a bride of Christ to treat them well. They are co-heirs with you. And then he says our prayers so that our prayers may not be hindered. You know, there is a powerful force when husbands and wives can pray together. Sometimes, man, you have to learn it. It's very uncomfortable at first, but the longer you do it, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with that. But Peter's reminding us of how important it is to maintain harmony in the relationship, in the marriage. That when a husband and wife do not keep their married life intact, they'll have trouble keeping their spiritual life on track. But those two are not to be separated. Your married life and your spiritual life, they are they are so connected and they influence and they can even hinder each other. So marriage, I began with saying, it's not a 50-50 contract. And this is what I mean by that. Marriage is not, I'm going to do my 50%, I'm going to wait on you to your, do your 50%. I'm going I'm to step out, I'm going to lead, and then I'm going to wait, see how you submit, and then I might lead again. Or, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit a little bit, but then I'm going to wait to see how well you lead, and then I'll submit a little bit more. A lot more than that. One time we were learning to, to do ballroom dancing. Offered to us, and man, you never done that as a married couple. There's a lot you learn about your marriage. But the instructor stopped us. And he said, Mark, you're to lead. And I said, I know. Marla, you're to follow. She said, I know. But he said, the problem is, is that you're too worried about whether he's leading. You're too worried about whether she's going to follow. You have to be concerned about what you've called to do. Mark, you lead. Marla, you follow. So marriage is not, hey, I'm going to do 50 and they do 50 and eventually we'll get there. No, it is you have to focus on doing the 100% thing that you have been called by God to do. You pursue Christ, you trust in God to work in the other person. That you do what God has divinely called you to do. It is not a 50-50 contract, it is a 100% commitment. 
So wives are to be subject to their husbands. Husbands are to be subject to God's word. And we cannot force the other into it. Wives, you cannot demand that your husband lead. And husbands, you cannot demand that your wives submit. But we must trust God to work in both of our hearts and lives. We must focus on our divine calling. And I promise you this. Natural love is strong with some husbands and wives. But the highest natural love falls short of that which comes from God. But hearts concentrating on God are the most united hearts. The marriage is not a 50-50 contract. It is a 100% commitment. Let's pray. Father, this morning, what some powerful words you have given us in Peter. Father, I want to pray for all of the marriages, for those that are existing now, to those in the future of those represented here. That if you do call them to marriage, and if you have called some here today, that, Father, we would understand our divine calling, and we would appreciate it in a greater way. That as husbands, we have a tremendous responsibility to lead. To lead our our families financially, to lead them spiritually, to teach them in ways to lead them. And the wives have such a tremendous responsibility. Father, it's hard. We often get into the struggle of, uh, of marriage. But Father, it can be one of the greatest blessings of our lives where we will pursue you and treasure your son above all else and rely in the Holy Spirit to guide us. And when each partner is doing that, there is a beauty that is created in marriage. And I pray that our children would grow up to see that, that their marriages would be healthy. So this morning, as we think about marriages, that we would always keep your son Christ in view. He came, he lived, and he died and laid down his life. And he did 100% of the commitment that you gave him. And that is a picture of our marriages, that we want to give all and to pursue all that you have called us in. In allowing you to work in each other's lives. So, Father, this morning, bless us and keep us. It's in your Son's name and by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.